We're starting a new year. I know you've already been introduced to the new year. You've had six days in it. We've started a seventh one. But here at Sunrise, it's our first Sunday in 2024. And so I want to let you know what we're going to try to do, what our plan is as a church family. This year, every year we try to do something kind of as a challenge, some way to kind of rejuvenate our, our spirit and, and spiritual growth and those kind of things. This year, we're going to try, we're going to attempt to become experts in the New Testament. <laughs> now, I know the term expert might be a little bit intimidating for humble folk like us, but uh, I'm using the word expert not as an attempt for us to have any kind of bragging rights or any kind of boasting or, or no, no pride involved with that, that label. But I, I'm using the word experts so that we can set our goals in such a place that we have to reach for them. Goals aren't too good if, if it's something that is like, you know, it's on the low, lower shelf. We want to put it up here. And none of us, if we, any of us kind of sit back and say, all right, I've made it. I'm an expert in New Testament. Then, then you've missed the, you know, you missed the point. Like we're, we're not going to be experts completely, but are, we're going to set that as a goal. We're going to study the New Testament to try and, and, uh, and know more about it, to live it. And so one of the things that we're going to try to do is we're going to try to read the New Testament as a church throughout the year. This is a much lighter load than last year. We read through the Bible, the whole Bible in a year last year. This year is just the New Testament. And what that means is that you'll read one chapter a day, five days a week. Right? And it gives you some time to wrap your head around what you read that day, some headspace to think about it for the day, to study it, to meditate on it, write some notes on it, ask questions about it, and to apply it some way in your life. And then on Sundays, when we get up here to preach, many of those Sundays, we're going to preach on some kind of New Testament. So we'll just keep piling on these things that we can learn to understand God better by looking at the New Testament. Uh, we'll study books like the book of James. We're going to go through that whole book. The book of Colossians is another book we're going to look at. The book of Revelation, we'll do a whole series on the book of Revelation. In fact, our entire fall revival, our fall retreat that we do in November, that's going to be on the book of Revelation. Johnny Presley, when he comes, is going to do Revelation in his workshops and each of those things. And so you got that to look forward to. And, and of course, you, you can't do the New Testament unless you spend a lot of time talking about Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at the, the Gospels. In fact, that's exactly what we're going to start with today. Week one of 2024, we're kicking off this year with a series called The Way of Jesus. If we want to understand the New Testament, if we want to understand our faith as Christians, it starts and ends, it begins and ends with Jesus Christ. As Christians, we need to know His life, His ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. We need, to know, we need to know his lessons and his parables and his sermons and his sayings and his practices. We as Christians aim to be like Christ. Like if we were to somehow get anywhere close to experts, that's the, another way of saying it, to be like Christ. And so we need to know him. We need to know his ways. Everything that you read in the Old Testament was a prequel to Jesus it's pointing to him, the Old Testament is, the, and, and anticipating his arrival. It's, it's God's plan to bring the arrival of Jesus about. And then everything in history that has happened since Jesus points back to him. He is the centerpiece 
of everything that we believe. Jesus, he's not just a guy from history. He's not just some good teacher from the past. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end, and he's our Lord and Savior. So we look at Jesus. The New Testament starts with four books written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's the titles that they've taken. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four authors telling the same story from a slightly different perspective. They tell, each of them, tell the story of Jesus. His life and ministry, his saving act of sacrifice, and his resurrection. These first four books were called Gospel. Gospel. Uh, Maybe you've heard that term before. Did you know that the term gospel, it wasn't originally used to describe the story of Jesus? When you hear gospel, you might automatically think Jesus, right? That's not the way the term was originally used. No, the idea of gospel was more generic. It was something like an announcement to the community. You you get a gospel. So you have like, imagine a messenger coming in, he rides in on his horse. And he opens up the scroll to deliver a message to the community. He's like, hear ye, hear ye. The queen has given birth to a healthy baby boy. The lion of the king will continue. May the king live forever. You know, you're like, you've got this announcement, this gospel message, good news, right? Or a general of the army comes and he announces to the group that the war is over and we are the winners, right? right? It's a, a gospel has been spoken. It was more generic in terms of a, an announcement. Um, so yeah, today, when we hear or say the word gospel, a lot of us, we might know that it technically means good news, but we think of, that's not what we think of. We think of the Holy Bible, or we think of a church building or a preacher telling the story of Jesus and the cross and and Easter. Um, But really what happened is we took the term gospel and we hijacked that term. It's as if ever since Jesus came, you almost can't apply that term to anything else, right? Because nothing can compare to the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's like, all right, we'll take that. That's ours now. Gospel, Jesus. So, Now, anytime you hear the word gospel, it pretty much means the story of Jesus. The first four books of the New Testament, which we're going to spread out throughout the year. You're going to read the book of Matthew, and then we're going to go somewhere else. And you'll come back to the books of Mark and and Luke and John. We'll spread that out throughout the year. Those four, though, they're in a category of their own. They, They have their own genre of scripture. Those four writings are the gospel writings. And this last week, we read Matthew... Chapters 1 through 5. The arrival of Jesus in the beginning of his ministry. And it just so happens that I'm going to focus in on chapter 4. Maybe you read that this week. Look at, let's look at chapter 4. I'm going to pray and then we're going to study Jesus from, the, from Matthew chapter 4. Father God, guide us through this chapter. Thank you for giving us your word. And I pray that as we study it, we'll take this and we'll learn, we'll grow, we'll ask the right questions and meditate on this. Guide us through the Holy Spirit to not only know what you've given us, but how we can use it to expand your kingdom and to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, to kick off this year, we're going to start walking the way of Jesus. We're going to start walking the way of Jesus by following Jesus as soon as he starts his ministry. And as far as we can tell, Jesus starts his ministry officially 
right after he gets baptized. So we're gonna, he's going to come out of the water. We're going to start right Matthew chapter 3, actually, verse 16 and 17 is where we're going to start and get us going. In Matthew three sixteen, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Right, the skies open up. There's, there's no amount of artificial, artificial intelligence or special effects that could capture this, the magnitude of this moment. God spoke from a split in the sky, and the truth was becoming clear to the world that Jesus is God's Son. Now, after something like that, if it were to happen today, we'd go over to the fellowship hall and we'd have a linger longer. We'd have some finger foods and we'd have a cookout and we'd just celebrate this great event that's just happened. Those people who were there that day, if Jesus had decided in that moment, come out of the water and he starts marching to Jerusalem to take over or marching to Rome to take over, the, the, become like the supreme ruler, there's people there that would have just started following him and to go where, where he was going. That's not where he decided to go. That's not what was next. We're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, right? So we need to go uh, where he went and follow him. So where did he go? Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That may be the biggest understatement in the Bible. Like After he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights... Jesus was, shockingly, hungry. Anybody hungry right now? Maybe he was reminded of another hungry man from the Old Testament. 40 days, 40 nights, he's hungry. Maybe he, at some point, was thinking about the story in Genesis 25, the hangry brother of Isaac. Esau, he came in one day, you remember that story? He was on a hunting trip and he came back and he was starving, so much so that he couldn't have rational thought or make good choices self-control was a problem for him and so he kind of he gave up everything to his brother just so he could have that bowl of soup and and you know pretty he was pretty quick to choose his desires choose his stomach over wisdom and good choices temptation just had a way of pushing him over pretty easily Well, that's not what happens to Jesus. In verse 3, it says, The tempter came to him, came to Jesus. We're back in Matthew 4 now. He came to Jesus and he said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus was fasting, which means... It, it, it's a spiritual discipline. Fasting is kind of going without something. Most of the time we're talking about food, and, and here we are. Going without food for a specific period of time for the purpose of drawing closer to God, meditating, praying, drawing closer to God. So Jesus had been doing this for 40 days, this spiritual discipline, preparing himself for the road ahead. And after 40 days of this, he is weak. He is vulnerable And something we learn is that Satan has a way of tempting us when we are vulnerable. If you're the son of God, Satan must be taunting Jesus. If you are the son of God, 
In essence, he's saying like, why don't you prove yourself? He tries to question Jesus' identity because 40 days ago, remember the sky opened and God's voice echoed across the Jordan. This is my son. And Satan, in this vulnerable state, sees Jesus, maybe a, a window of doubt that he might exploit. Are you really the son of God? Satan knows the answer to that. But he's trying to get Jesus to, to slip up. Maybe Jesus, Jesus was reminded of, of Elijah, another Old Testament man out in the wilderness, hungry. In the Old Testament, uh, Elijah was chased into the wilderness, escaping Queen Jezebel in 1 Kings 19. And Elijah was out there, he was depressed and he was alone. And God came to Elijah in that vulnerable time. And I'll read just a little bit. When, um, when Elijah woke up, it says, Elijah woke up, he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down. I imagine at some point over these 40 days, Jesus remember that story, and he's like, wouldn't that be nice to have some bread to satisfy this desire that my body is crying out for? Now, you might think there's no way. There's no way that Jesus was even entertained by these doubts. But you've got to remember who Satan is. Satan is the prince of this world. And see, when Jesus came to earth, he became God in human form. He emptied himself, humbled his position from the heavenly realm to the earthly realm, became a man, he became human and vulnerable to flesh. If it weren't true, he wouldn't have even been hungry. Like He wouldn't be susceptible to the hunger. So Satan knows this. But like I said, Satan also knows that Jesus is God. So he, he goes straight for the jugular, jugular and he tempts Jesus to use his power as God to serve his flesh as man. This is one of the examples where we see Jesus struggle with this and, and Jesus identifies with us, relates to us as people who are tempted. He relates to us as our Savior. With every fiber in Jesus' humanity longed for and cried out for food, Satan is like, Jesus, there is no sense in you being hungry. Use your power Be done with this pretense. It's not worth it. After all, you are God. Use your creation to serve you. Reminds me of Israel. In the days of Moses, 40 years they wandered in the desert, in the wilderness. Not exactly the ideal conditions that you want to come out of slavery. They came out of Egypt and slavery to Pharaoh. And it's not exactly the ideal first step to go into the wilderness and in the desert. But what we learned when we watched them wander in the book of Numbers, we learned that 40 years was being used to test them, to teach them about how God provides. It's a great environment for that kind of test. Moses writes about it later in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he's talking to the nation about that, and he says in verse 2, he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that 
in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, does that sound familiar? Those were the words that Jesus spoke to combat against Satan during that first round of temptation. Now, I imagine Jesus had meditated on that some over these 40 days during the time in the desert, relating those 40 years to his 40 days, remembering that Israel was alone and hungry, as he is now. And God provided for them. Satan's attack challenged Jesus. It's like, you're, you're God, right? Or are you? Well, God can create bread out of nowhere. If you're God, you're hungry, right? If you're God, prove it. Now, is Jesus tempted? Absolutely. This story wouldn't make any sense if Jesus wasn't tempted. He was like, ah, get out of here, silly devil. No, yes, he's absolutely, you know he is, but he reacts with clarity, knowing who God is, because he knows the scripture, knowing the words of God spoken through Moses, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus takes round one. Verse five, and back in Matthew four, it says, then the devil took him to the holy city, And had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now this is an interesting scene because it says, then they... they They go to Jerusalem, they go to the holy city, and they're on the top of the temple. I don't know exactly how this happened is it kind of like a dream or did they really go there or like i don't know how to explain that they were there on top of the temple but this next scene takes place at the temple and the devil seems to have learned from the the first temptation the the previous uh, attempt okay like you you don't you want to throw scripture at me two can play at that game so jesus come on you think you're the son of god well, if you are the son of God, and then check what the Satan quotes, or should I say what he misquotes, he goes to scripture and he quotes Psalm 91. He says, God, throw, throw yourself off this temple and God will send his angels to come and protect you. You won't hit the ground. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, let's, 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 get, let's skip all this other stuff. Let's show Jerusalem your identity right here. And they'll know who you are. Let's go ahead and do it. If you're the one, then show us. Jump from the temple and prove yourself. The devil is clever like this. He'll take something true, twist it, just enough so that we can justify our actions. Did Jesus buy into that? No, he doesn't buy into that. Was he tempted? I bet, yeah. But what he says, he says, no. You're, you're, you're twisting it. Because scripture also says, do not 
put the Lord your God to the test. The devil wants to try one more time. In verse 8, again the devil took him to, the, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Again, I don't know how he showed that. But he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you. He said, if you will bow down to me and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. It's a pretty generous offer. All the kingdoms of this world and their splendor be yours. Now, I think, I think that Satan, he could offer that. He could offer that. It's a generous offer. Do you think Jesus stopped to consider his options? He's human. Wouldn't it be great to just take a shortcut? Like, I want to be everybody's king. I could just, you know, take a shortcut, skip all of the grueling work that I know I'm supposed to go through, bypass the road ahead, all the suffering and the frustration and the people. I'm hungry. Like, don't forget, he hasn't eaten in 40 days. I'm hungry and I'm weak and your brain gets a little bit loopy when you're vulnerable. I'm like, to consider this, and I'm, I'm only at the beginning of my ministry. Can't we just take a shortcut? And maybe, G- Satan's, maybe Satan's point gives him a little bit of pause. But even in this weak state, Jesus sees through the lies that Satan is throwing at him. He knows that it's deception. He knows it's not God's plan. Because he's seeking God's purpose and not his own. And so he fires back. He says, away from me, Satan. There's a good quote. Three words. Put that in your memory bank when you're dealing with temptation. Away from me, Satan. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This verse that Jesus quotes This isn't just, these verses that he's quoting, they're not just popping up in his head because he's Jesus. They're coming to his memory. And how do you have a memory? It's because you've been there before, you've studied it, you know it. And so he's bringing this up from, he's recalling what he's learned from God's word, from the scripture that he had at that time. He's not just bringing it out of nowhere. He's learned not just the words, but he's learned his father's character. And his pattern. And he's put that into his faith. Into his beliefs. And he's recalling that. And then he reacts with the wisdom and obedience. That's why one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons why we put so much emphasis on studying the word of God here at Sunrise. Because it's so hard to have clarity living in this world. When we're trying to seek God's plan, this life is a battle. And one of the weapons, one of the main weapons for those times in the wilderness is God's word. We we need to know it. We need to love it. And not just memorize, but we learn from it the character of our God and the pattern of who he is and how we are able to use that. And that light gives us clarity in this world. So... If we want to walk the way of Jesus, we are going to need to win the battles of temptation. You ever wonder why this is the first step Jesus took 
after baptism? Of all the things he could have done to kick off his ministry, why was this his first step? I mean, it says in verse 1, it said that this is where the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. This is like literally like a mirror image to Israel wandering in the desert, in the wilderness. God rescues them from slavery, from Egypt and Pharaoh, and then he sends them to boot camp. Why is it? Why is it that we send soldiers to boot camp instead of sending them straight to war as soon as they enlist? We send them to this terrible, you know, weeks and months of boot camp, but instead of, once they sign their name, why don't you send them to war? Preparation. Training. Preparation. So you're telling me he wasn't sent to college. He, just, he wasn't just sent straight to the mission field, I guess, or, or some kind of apprenticeship. He was sent to the desert. As you're reading through the Bible this year, you're reading through the New Testament, and you notice something like that, I want to encourage you something. Get, get a little journal or some kind of, write it in your phone or in your notes. Write things, observations that you make like that. And take a second and ask questions. You know, a lot of times when we study the word or when I'm giving a sermon, what we're looking for is to write down some kind of profound wisdom. I read this and here's what I learned. Here's the answer that we get. You know what uh, another good exercise would be? Instead of writing down the profound thing you came up with, write down the questions you have. Write down the questions you have and let that marinate. Talk with people. Ask those questions. What am I learning from this? And write down more questions, things that, that we should be asking ourselves. What kind of you know, what will help me to use this? What can I use to talk about this with my friends or my family, bringing the, these things up? It's not all about figuring the answer out and the most profound wisdom you can post, but asking the right questions that will lead you. And that's something I want to encourage you towards this year. Ask questions when you read the Bible and write them down. So one of my questions, studying through it this week, one of my questions became this. How is this time in of testing and temptation, how is that preparing Jesus for his walk? Because if I had my preference, whenever someone becomes a Christian, this Christian walk that we have, it would be free of temptation. You become a Christian and then, wouldn't it be great? Like you just go forth and then there's no more temptation. Just a clear, God, just make a, a clear path for me and let's make this thing easy. Let's ride it out. But what I observe is this. One, Jesus was not shielded from being tempted. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to a vulnerable place, making it even harder, and then he was tempted. Now, that's not what I want to be reading. But at the same time, it does give me a good deal of comfort to see my Savior do this. I mean, in terms of being able to relate with him on this, because... I know what it's like to be tempted. I know that my path is not always going to be clear of temptation. So I need to live in the reality and be prepared. So I want to watch him. I want to walk the ways of Jesus. I want to watch him and see how he handles it because I don't always handle it well. I want to know the ways of Jesus so what are his ways? Well, Jesus is tempted because of his hunger. So a question I ask myself, 
When am I hungry? When am I hungry? When does my flesh cry out for selfish desires? When am I vulnerable and weak? And I tell you, it doesn't take me long to come up with answers. And then what does Satan offer? Satan offers, in this story, he offers Jesus shortcut solutions to satisfy his hunger. To get him past things maybe he's not looking forward to. Quick answers, an easier path, a more comfortable plan. And I'm like, man, those are the paths I want to take. I want those easier paths to avoid the difficult ones. Listen, Jesus, is, he's about to go out and he's going to live out a ministry of profound purpose. And Satan, is, his greatest desire is to derail that purpose. And he's trying to do that by offering Jesus a different, easier path. And so for me, by asking those questions, I'm reflecting and I came, I came to a hard conclusion for myself. Is this, beating temptation... It's going to take you on a difficult path. If you want to beat temptation, it's going to take you on a difficult path. And difficult is not the word I wanted to use. I capitalized it because it's not the word I wanted to use because I also know if you do choose your temptation, you give in, that's also a difficult path. But I'm changing the name of that path. That is the destructive path. Choosing temptation and giving in, that's the destructive path. You choose what is right. That is a difficult path, a path of discipline, a path of honor, integrity. And it's difficult. The destructive path of giving into temptation, it takes away from you purpose. It takes you into darkness, away from God's will, while resisting temptation, it takes you to a difficult path road a hard fought road but that road is filled with purpose and it's covered in light jesus uses his knowledge of god's word to guide him during his weak moments it's like when the tempter is that's what it's called there satan is called when the tempter comes uh during this temptation he shows him two doors in door number one you have the difficult path. Now look down that road. That's the path you think, you know, that God's taking you down. Look how hard it is. There's a lot of effort that has to go into it. And it doesn't look that pretty, does it? Like that's the difficult path. Narrow road. But door number two is the destructive path. But man, it looks amazing. Think about the things that are on the destructive path, why is it so enticing? It's because it offers, it promises so much. And it looks so, yeah, maybe the door says destructive path, but look how beautiful it is, right? And then, but you go through that door and right on the other side is darkness. And when you're weak, and that is what we are, door number two seems so promising. But it's a path without purpose, and it's a path without God. And so I ask, what did Jesus turn to in the moment of temptation? 
what helped him to turn away from this attractive door of destruction. At least in these moments, the emphasis seems to be he turned to God's word. He turned to God's word. The challenge this year for us here at Sunrise is to direct our attention to the New Testament. Knowing God's word is it's going to benefit us in so many different ways. But one practical way that scripture helps us is when you are tempted. <coughs> Satan and our flesh will lie to us and even try to excuse away our sins. But that's the thing about God's word. It's a double-edged sword. When you have those lies, and we, we believe lies because they sound good, right? But the word of God has the, it's a double-edged sword that is able to slice through lies and deception so that we can see more clearly and follow his ways. This year, we want to seek the ways of God. We want to seek his kingdom. But along the way, it will be difficult to resist temptation. So let's be prepared. Let's be prepared. I think this is one practical reason why you take on the challenge to read through the New Testament, to become experts on the New Testament. There's lots of benefits. One of them we see straight here for Jesus. It helps us with temptation so that we can stay away from the path of destruction to walk in light, to walk with purpose, to cut through the lies of the evil one, and to live our purpose for God. Let's be prepared. Let's pray.